Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Claysville, where we uh, look at more depth at the passage that we explored on Sunday. My name is David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, we turned to Genesis chapter 22, and we looked at faith at the precipice. We saw Abraham and we saw the test that he faced and we were asked the question, would he be obedient to God? And it then reflect, we were caused to reflect for ourselves, how would we show our faith in obedience? Dave, thanks very much for helping us to look at such a big passage. Well, compared to preaching Sodom and Gomorrah, I, this actually was a pleasure <laughs> in the sense that it is, it is such a fantastic passage and as we'll talk about in a moment is brilliant storytelling and moving storytelling and all the more moving as Christians because uh, we know how it panned out again a couple of thousand years later in a in a way more dramatic uh, way so so yeah it was it was lovely to be able to explore that again and uh, and and listen to people before and after church just reflecting on um, the way they reflected on God's love for them in Christ, which was beautiful. Yeah. So what are we going to do today? Okay. We're going to, first of all, uh, a, a long-time listener – actually, I don't know if actually you, if he's ever listened to it, but anyway, Jeremy um, asked a question afterwards, and I thought it was quite interesting. He said, all right, I get where this is pointing us to Christ, but what actually was the test mm. um, and how did he – what was what test was he passing? So we're going to have a look at the test. We're actually going to do what I mentioned. We're going to have a look at the storytelling and just draw attention to some of the things I was trying to do in the way I, I, I did the talk on Sunday, but also some of the ways to see the storytelling in it. Um, then we're going to have a look at the idea of uh, giving of the of the firstborn of, or of the heir, that idea of sacrifice and where it actually plays out significantly through um, through the whole of the Old Testament. We're going to look at the significance of the place and we're going to think about the Lord's provision. So that's where we're going to go today. So Dave, the first thing we're going to look at is this whole, the test that Abraham um, was facing there from Jeremy's question. So where are we going to go from here? Well, it might be interesting to see a couple of other tests in the Old Testament and see what they reveal about what God is trying to do. Uh Often he explicitly says that he's going to test and this is why. Of course, in our example in Genesis 22, he just we're just told that he's testing him, but we're not told what it's about. So maybe seeing these other examples will help us to think through what is the test. Mm-hmm. So do you want us, the first one relates to uh, the wandering in the wilderness. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, and then Exodus 16, verse 4. Excellent. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, this was a test actually that had to happen because of their failing. So they were grumbling. You know, they'd just seen all of these amazing mm. signs and wonders that God had done to deliver them for 400 years of slavery. And then they start grumbling and not trusting him. And so he then puts them to, test, to the test and say, well, are you going to actually follow through and, and take me at my word um, because you will need to? 
as you wander through the wilderness. Mm. Um, then we've got Exodus 16 verse yeah, 4. Which zooms right in on that account. So then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. Mm. And so you get that really specific, this is what they're to do. And for those of us that are familiar with the story, we kind of know how it <laughs> ends, don't we? Isn't it interesting that both of them relate to his word, mm. right? That, that it is, um, you know, that that man should not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the Father, which, of course, Jesus quotes, doesn't he? Mm. Um, and then that other one, whether they'll, uh, to test them, see, will they actually do what I command mm. them? I tell you, I'm going to provide food for you six days of the week. I'm even going to give you double on the sixth day. Just are you actually going to just trust me for one day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, are you going to take my word on the one day I don't provide it yep. so, so that – um, based on what I've done in the past. You see this kind of idea. It's often to do with taking him at his word. Now, um, then you get another interesting one, which is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. I believe this is one of your favourites, Dave. Yes. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now, the context for that one is that Exodus 19 and 20 is there right around the Mount mm. of of, of Mount Sinai and the cloud is around the top and the lightning and it's Thunder. just a terrifying, terrifying setting. And then the word from God comes out to say, don't even let a goat set foot on the bottom of this mountain because it is so holy. And so you get this, this terrifying command, do not dare approach. And then they're going please don't speak to us because if God speaks to us, we'll die again. It's to do with the word, isn't mm. it? And so, um, and then God then says, look, don't freak out. I'm testing to see whether you'll fear me because if you fear me, you won't need to be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you actually recognise that I am the almighty God, then you need not fear when you obey mm. me. And in fact, you'll actually learn that I'm the God who's going to go out before you, the one that was you were terrified yeah. before. Well, I'm on your side. Yeah. I'm in your midst. And, and so, but again, it's related to, are they going to listen to my word and so therefore for prosper? So it's again, it's, 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 it's often related to the word. So now we, we come back to Genesis 22 and we come to this test to Abraham and it is a command. It is a command where God makes it, as we looked at yesterday, very, very clear that the command is to sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. In other words, God is saying, I'm now asking you to sacrifice and I'm exactly aware of what I'm asking you yep. to do. Are you going to obey me? Are you still going to trust me? Up until this point, he had received blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And so it, it, it is an important test. And this, this is the beginning. I think, mm. I think it's probably the first test in the Bible, right? Yep. And so, so it's the very, very beginning of this is I've blessed you upon bless you upon bless you. Now are you going to trust me? when I ask you to do something hard. Yep. Now it's a horribly hard thing. Yeah, and because it gets to the heart of really what God's promises to Abraham have been mm. because the, we know that the promises actually centre around mm. his son Isaac mm. and the way that God is going to actually bless the entire world through mm. his son. Mm. And so this really is, it's will you take God at, at his word mm. when it is 
it appears to be asking the impossible. And when God is your God and you are his people, there's a sense of where you go, you're locked in. You, you, you've, um, you, you are in covenant with this God. You have made an arrangement with him. He is now your God and now is when the rubber hits the road. Will you obey him as your God? And so that is an important thing that needed to be tested. Um, and, and the thing I guess we would say is there is a difference. We're, a couple of us were chatting about this after church yesterday, that there's a difference between testing and tempting. It's mm-hmm. like the evil one tempts. Uh, people who are trying to seduce you to a, something wrong tempt you because what they do is they want you to fall mm. under the temptation. Tempt, tempt, people trying to tempt you are putting a stumbling block before you so you could trip over it. Um, testing is when you're putting having a stumbling block put in front of you so that you will jump over it. Because mm. he wants Abraham to <laughs> he pass. He wants Abraham to pass because it is actually important to testify that this relationship can work. And it, and it is very um, – it's, it's similar to – it's the same – essential thing that is being put to the test in the book of Job when um, the Satan comes before God and God says, look at my servant Job, he's so righteous. And he's going, well, of course he's righteous. You give him everything. The guy's loaded. He's got everything a person could want. Um, Just make his life hard and he'll curse you. In other words, your relationship with your people is only based on you giving them whatever they want. Uh, Your... it's not a valid relationship the minute you give them something hard to do because they'll turn their back on you. That's the, the Satan's accusation. Um, and so we see it almost played out right at the beginning here with Abraham. Abraham has got to show that God can be trusted and that God's people you know, um, can actually relate um, in obedience to him even when they're called to do things that are impossibly hard, that they can't map out they're left mm. with those moments that i think the hidden things of god where where you go god and his wisdom knows what he's doing but we mortals don't necessarily yeah. see where the end is which again is a big theme of this we don't see where the end is so we've just got to trust even though we can't go i i don't know how these things can join up mm. that is an important thing to be proven mm. and um and and that as soon as god calls something to do hard his people don't abandon him. The relationship is is more important than that, um, and so you know that that's it's quite an important and robust test, even though it seems grotesque to us until we think about Jesus, and then mm. we know it's not grotesque; it's magnificent. So, um, so that's the test. So, the second thing that I thought we'd talk about is storytelling. So on Sunday, as we looked at this narrative, you actually helped us to see some of the beautiful storytelling, particularly in the way that the narrative slows everything right down and by looking at the details and there's often sort of the repetition that's there. And as you said, that whole, the beautiful way that it like it's slowing it down because it doesn't actually want us to get to mm. the climax of the story because of how horrific it is. It's almost like it's like, how many extra words can I put in here to put off getting to where we're going to get to? So what are you going to help us yeah, to see about yeah. the story? Uh, it, it, that is something I was trying hard to do because it is a, a, a very, very crafted they're all crafted in Genesis, but this is one of the most crafted of, of those um, chapters. And it is like um, it's like the storytelling is about getting us into the world of somebody who's being asked to to do sacrifice mm. the son, and just the, the the slowness, the procedure of it all. Like going, will that? I don't want that time to come. It's it's all that kind yeah. of thing. So so um, a few things to look at in the storytelling. One of the things I think we miss 
in our time, in our Twitter age, where we just want everything done in, in as short a headline as possible, when a, even our English translations try to put things as efficiently as they can, is that we can often lose the art of telling a story. And one of the things that you, we've mentioned many times in this podcast as we've dealt with narrative both in the Old Testament and New Testament is that it, part of it is God's wisdom is in giving us it in the form of a story and the form of the story is actually where half the mm. lessons are. It's, it's the fact that story affects us and story captures us. And so what you look for is in, in storytelling is the redundancies, for instance, uh, words that just don't need to be there. And if they don't need to be there and yet are there, um, unless you've got a particularly verbose telling, which this isn't actually, you, you've you've got an emphasis there. There's um, repetition of concepts. There's the things that slow down the pace. So multiplying verbs, for instance. So instead of saying, and so he went down to Mariah, going, passing through the book and doing things like that, it, it's, it's he did this and then he did that and then he did this other thing. And it's that that's what slows it all down. It, it, it takes us to go through, through all of the procedures, and then they leave. Mm. And then he does this, 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 and then he leaves. And so there's a couple of things that um, we didn't talk through on Sunday, that um, that uh, and and little nice little storytelling moments. So for instance, the way the story begins. Um, and this is something you pointed out to me that I hadn't realised before, and that this is the first time that God actually addresses Abraham as Abraham. Mm. Like he's told him, your name won't be Abram anymore, it's going to be Abraham. But this is, he calls out his name. Mm. So the story of Abraham sacrificing his son, or being called to, he's, he's begins with his name, which means father of many nations. Mm. So it's like, father of many nations, here I am. Yep. And that's an interesting telling. And then, of course, and then after Abraham passes the test, what do we read? Abraham, Abraham. His name is repeated. <laughs> so, uh, father of many nations, father of many nations, don't lay a hand on the boy, mm. the child of the promise, yeah. through whom he's about to say when he speaks from heaven a second time, I will surely do this. Now, it's interesting, one of the uh, a Hebrew technique for talking about things being really big, mm. so we might say biggest or, or uh, I will surely bless you. Well, the the language in the original is I will cause to bless you blessing. You know, like it's, yeah. it's like bless. <laughs> I'll cause to bless your blessings. Um, and and at the same time, when it says your your numbers will greatly increase, it doesn't say greatly and increase. It's they will increase to increase. So you yeah. d- it's, there's a duplication of the the actual word that that is the Hebrew way of saying this is so this is getting bigger and surely going to happen. And so even that also happens with his name, Abraham, Abraham. It's not mm. just Abraham, it's Abraham, 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 father of many, father of many nations. So there's these little flavours in there. Another one, and this is something we observed on Sunday, is the father-son language. This is where that redundancy point mm. I mentioned is that he just keeps on saying, um, and Isaac, his son. Now we already know <laughs> Isaac is his son. So in normal good English, if in a paragraph you've mentioned who someone is, you only need to refer to them by a pronoun or Abraham or Isaac or his son, not all of them together. Yep. And and so by tying them together, it just means that that idea of of um, of the relationship is something that the writer is wanting you to sit in, mm. that you're always you're, – you're thinking about – Abraham and the son that he's waited for a hundred years mm. for, and 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 even Isaac's 
relationship father yes my son mm-hmm. you know you just got this father son father son language and the two of them on this journey together and so it's taking you into a relational world now another bit of research you were doing is is we get another interesting thing in genesis chapter four that does the same thing and this might help to make the point because it's an interesting contrast yeah so it's the story of uh, cain and abel um and obviously the horrific murder of abel by cain and in four verses five times we're told that they're brothers Mm. it's like um in case you missed it they're brothers, they're brothers, they're brothers. The brother kills his brother. Yes. And it's meant to, it's emphasising for us just that this is a close familial relationship and it's being taught like this is a horrific event that tears that apart. And the emphasis of keeping on saying it's brothers, it's brothers, it's brothers, it means that we can't we can't miss the fact that this is what are meant to be the closest of relationships mm. and then there is a horrific murder. And, and so then this then happening... Uh, 16 chapters later it is a similar sort of thing there's go there's the death that is being prescribed here mm. and the emphasis all the way through is father son son father father son yep. and, and, and in case that. we missed it framed by father of many nations father, father of, of many, many nations, nations. father you're, of many nations you're one and only son, yeah, and only son. son. So, so that's part of the the storytelling then um, then there's another aspect which which ties on some of the things we've already observed in previous podcasts, especially with the Hagar and Ishmael stuff, and and that is the language of he looked up and saw. Mm. So, um, uh, in in the original, it is, it is uh, he lifted his eyes and saw. Mm. Now, when we see that um, the, for the first time, it's with Lot. Remember mm. when we're talking about Lot and Abraham, after they come back from Egypt and their servants are squabbling, that um, they say, we've got to separate. And Lot lifts up his eyes and he mm. sees all the valley of the Jordan and he goes, this is like the Garden of Eden. He's drinking it in. <laughs> so the language of why not say, he, 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 saw the, he saw the valley of the Jordan and said, I want that. The difference is he lifted his eyes and saw. Mm. What that does as storytelling is gets the listener to look through their eyes. Mm. So you, you find yourself imagining yes. what they're seeing rather than… I'm in than, Lot's place. Yes. Looking out at this and kind of getting myself into the it's story. It's like I'm in Lot's place, I'm not a bird, mm. right? So, so and, he, and he saw that and we did this. It's like you're going, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about what, he, what the actual thing he's looking at. Whereas when it's lift your eyes and see, I'm seeing through his eyes, I'm being I'm em- more empathetic, I'm seeing what he is seeing. And, and then um, in that same chapter we get it again when uh, after Lot disappears, God lifts Abraham's eyes and he shows him the north and he shows him the east and he shows him the west and he shows him the south and he says, all of this I am giving you. So we're meant to be sitting there looking through Abraham's eyes as God shows him everywhere and we're going, right, I need to see this. And so then we get the um, other time when God lifts up Hagar's eyes Mm. um, when she's sitting there and she's bawling her eyes out because Ishmael's sitting under a bush, um, you know, he's bawling too and they're all starving to death and they're thirsty in the desert and then the Lord lifts her eyes and she sees the well that she couldn't see before. And and again, it's like the, mm. that, the language we would use in English of drinking it in. And so, you again, you're sitting with Hagar in her despair and then you're caused to, by the writer to look through her eyes and see what she sees. Now, 
that comes up in our passage. And it comes back um, when, when he looks up and he sees Moriah, the land that mm. God had, the place, from a distance. Again, so you're getting this from a distance. He looks up and he sees. Now, it's it's up because there's all these hills everywhere, mm. so he's actually looking up. But again, you're, you're looking through his eyes and imagine him seeing the place and he's going, oh, we're here. Mm. After three days' travel, um, you guys stay here. We're going to go on up. Yeah. Um, and then the second time we read about him lifting his eyes and seeing is when, when – um, God says, Abraham, Abraham, yeah. don't do it. And then Abraham looks up and he sees the ram caught in the thickets. Yeah. And, you, and you're looking through his eyes and you're seeing, you're almost still bent over Isaac on the altar at that stage and you're looking through his eyes, he lifts his head and he looks off in the thicket and he sees that ram and goes, the Lord has provided mm. on the hill, the Lord has provided. And um, and so so there's that it's just trying to give you a picture as to what the language is trying to do. And that is one of those passages you read slow mm. and you read it in each phrase and each clause and, and let it sort of sink in. Um, and so, yeah, it's part, part, about another window into the beauty of, of storytelling. So moving on from the storytelling, the other thing we were going to look at was the whole concept of firstborn and how we understand that from this passage. Yeah, we see a bit about the pattern of giving of the giving of a son. Now you might say, hang on a minute, Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn. Theologically, no, he wasn't, mm. right? Because um, Isaac is the really the firstborn, is the seed of Abraham through his wife Sarah. And so he still kind of has that that firstborn thing. But what we actually see here again in Genesis 12 to 25 is the setting of a whole bunch of important patterns. We've already had circumcision set for us. We've had the idea of covenant and promise and uh, and what this means to trust in God. And, um, and, and so we're finding early on this idea, the importance of the firstborn, and even the firstborn introduced this idea of the firstborn as an offering. And um, and this is actually something that you then see throughout the Old Testament. And so um, uh, what we find in, in um, books like Exodus and Leviticus um, and Numbers is this idea that the firstborn always, the firstborn son is always dedicated to or given to the Lord. Mm. Now, whilst pagan religions might have had them um, being actually sacrificed and things like that, God actually lays claim to the firstborn. Mm. He says, they are mine. Every firstborn son must be dedicated to me, must be given to me, is is mine. Mm. Um, every firstborn of your flock also needs to be given to me. So it's like this giving of Isaac is placing a, 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 a marker where God says, this is going to be the way it works. Firstborn or firstborn son in particular, always matters mm. and always must be given to me. Now, what is interesting is it also is one of the key introduction of the idea of, of redemption. Mm. So the idea is that you go, well, how do they give their firstborn to God? Well, they're not doing – they're sacrificing them, but they're not sacrificing them. You know why? Because every firstborn needs to be redeemed. Yep. So the process was you give me your son, but then you redeem them. So you don't actually have to kill them. They get redeemed by a price. And so, and again, now because we know where the Abraham Isaac sacrifice is pointing us, you can see that it's not like he just returns to it 2,000 years later having left it dormant. It's actually embedded 
in the pattern of Israel's worship that the firstborn son is always given to the Lord, yeah, um, and and ha- and that redemption is also tied in it. It's interesting that the that the Levites were actually given that job as basically being the equivalent of all of Israel's firstborn. So God takes the whole tribe of Levites and they take the place um, of the firstborn sons and, and all of that um, as, as a whole people. The Levites are dedicated to God. But then the others still had to do an offering every time there was a firstborn. Um, and so the, the firstborn sons and the unclean animals all had to be redeemed, but the, the, the firstborn of the clean animals they actually make it through. They get sacrificed. Mm. So isn't that interesting? So the clean animals that are dedicated to God actually have to be sacrificed, but the unclean animals and the first people. Yes, because people are, <laughs> are unclean. In sense, it says yeah. they're naturally unclean, mm. and so they need to be redeemed. So there's this interesting theme of firstborn that actually begins here with Abraham um, and Isaac. So the next thing I thought we'd talk about is actually the place. Mm. Now, the place is a very, very significant word mm. in in the Old Testament. And we're going to have a look at it. First of all, one I think is two things. We're, first of all, is how do we know that Moriah is where Jerusalem ends up being yeah. or is it just by tradition? Well, it's actually in Scripture. So do you want to read us a few of those that uh, are the tr- things that trace us from Abraham and Isaac to where the temple's going to be. Yeah. So in 2 Samuel 24 verses um, 15 to 25, there's a whole section. So rather than reading that whole section, I'll do a bit of a summary, but that's where David buys the threshing floor of, and I tell you what, Dave, you always always (laughs) give me the good names. And I was like, Arowana, the Jebusite, to build an altar to the Lord. And so that story is then repeated in 1 Chronicles 21 uh, verse 18. And so the very place where in later years King David bought the threshing floor of Arowana as a place for the site of the temple. Um, And then in 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1, on the very place where Abraham offered Isaac, the temple of Solomon was built. So there you got. So it, it, we know it's, it, the temple is built on the threshing floor of Arowana, the Jebusite, um, that David bought, and then in two Chronicles three, it really anchors them together. Mm. That that happened to be the place. It is was known to be Moriah, and that is the place where Abraham offered Isaac. That very place mm. the temple was built. So if you wanted to know where the incident happened at Genesis twenty two, all you need to do is to go on Google. Google image Jerusalem, and if you see a picture with a big fat gold dome, that is right where we're talking about. That is the place that Genesis 22 happened. Yeah. Now, um, as I said, there's a there is a more significant thing, and that is the theological idea of the place. And there's a very important chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 12, that we're actually going to read to you um, verses one to fourteen about, because this is this is a critical thing in Israel's worship. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. So 
They're not to do worship God higgledy-piggledy and all over the place because that's what the nations do. God's sending from the pattern before they enter that land that when they get into the land that he's promised them, they're going to do worship and it's got to be in one place only. Right. You must not worship the Lord in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. You hear Genesis 22 and that. Go to the place that I will show. Go to the mm. region of the light, to the place that I will show, to the mountain that I will point out. Mm. And you're getting that same language here in Deuteronomy. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices. Burnt offerings. Your yep. tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Mm. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. So what we've got is that God is going to choose a place where he will symbolically dwell amongst his people and it's going to be one place. And don't you think it's really telling that that one place where all of their worship has to be centred, where he will dwell in their midst, is this very same place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Mm. Not just some place, but that place Mm. is where God says, I'm going to be here. This is going to be the demonstration that I'm dwelling amongst you is what happened in this place. Mm. Yep. Dot, dot, dot. So keep reading. (laughs) You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes and there observe everything I command you. And, of course, that place ends up being the threshing floor of Arowana, the Jebusite, where the temple is built. And notice that this is there's another aspect of this. This is the culmination. Remember how when we were looking at, um, you know, when Abraham asked God, what will be the sign that I will inherit this place? He says, well, you're going to be off and you're going to be held as captives in a place not your own for 400 years, and then they'll come back. The, 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 they, them coming back is going to be, the, when they get to celebrate and enjoy this place. And then here in general, Deuteronomy chapter 12, we're told when they're on the edge of the land that then they'll get to this place and then that place they will celebrate and rejoice and enjoy God's promises. The fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham of the land is meets its, uh, I guess, its pinnacle expression on the place where Abraham sacrificed mm-hmm. Isaac, which God is going to dwell in their midst. That is going to be the centre of the land and the fulfilment of the promises. And it's all tied back to where Abraham sacrificed Isaac and passed the test and will surely be blessed and the father of many nations who will bring blessing to all. And, of course, we know that that place itself is Jesus, mm. God dwelling in the midst of his people, 
and he is, you know, and, and so it's just these beautiful tying together of all of the promises located this wonderful place in general, ah, Genesis yes. chapter 22. Now, the last thing I thought we'd look at is the Lord's provision. And this is just, you know, sometimes we often like to to finish with a reflection um, that's a bit more pastoral. And um, and and this is um, that idea of the of the Lord providing. And it ties in with the storytelling as well. Mm. That the language of, as I said on Sunday, is that the language word for provide, when you most often when you read it mm. in the Bible, it is see. Hey. Um, providing is a is a is a um, is in the range of the word, but is not the main meaning of the word. The main on the mountain of the Lord, um, he will see, and and that's that idea that God Himself it, it's tying His provision to His knowledge. So if if you like, um, if you're thinking about um, the word provide in general, is just is focuses on what I'm getting, mm-hmm. whereas the word provide as it is in the Hebrew that's linked with the word to seeing is the is locked in the the wisdom and knowledge of the one who's doing the providing yeah so in other words he sees and therefore that's why he provides mm. so in other words on the mountain of the Lord he sees what is needed and provides it mm. he sees that Abraham needs someone to sacrifice something to sacrifice instead of Isaac and so he provides the ram. Mm. He sees that our sin needs forgiving and he, he provides does. us with the Lord Jesus. It is it is a, a provision based on the God who knows because he sees and he understands. And so it, it's just this wonderful reality that ties in with all of, of uh, the thing that Hagar, remember, rejoiced mm. in. We looked at before the fact that she says, I have seen the one who sees it's me. me. And it's the same words, mm. right? So, so again, it just points us to the fact that this is not just a wow, how about that pointer to Christ. It's a reminder that Christ's provision is the provision of a God who knows that we are stuck in our sin and needs we need redemption and we need to be we need someone to die in our place. Mm. And so He sees. And so he provides. Right. So that's a, a, a pretty cool way to finish, I think. So I've been Dave. And I've been Mandy. Thanks for joining us uh, for Sermon Seasonings this week. Uh, join us again next week as we continue our journey through Genesis. Genesis.